Thank you guys very much. It's always beautiful music. You guys lead us into worship every week. We're very grateful for that. Well, good morning. Today, we are going to talk about a very familiar passage of Scripture, and we're going to receive that commandment that we all hate. Do not be anxious. Isn't that, a, isn't that such a terrible commandment, it feels like at times? Um, anxiety is something that is very personal to me. Megan and I have struggled with anxiety in our lives, and so I want to share some of our own stories today. I want to share some of what we have learned about anxiety, about going through difficult times. It's something I hate. It's something that we've all struggled with at times. And for some of you, it's, it's a constant presence in your life. And anxiety is deceitful, it is paralyzing, it is destructive, and it will neutralize you. It will take you out of the presence of God. It's a very um, exhaustive and oppressive sin. And that's one thing to know today. It is a sin. But that's what we're going to talk about, um, anxiety today. I want you, to, you guys to know, though, that Jesus has defeated anxiety. And there is victory for you over anxiety in Jesus Christ. It's a battle. It's one you've got to fight intentionally, but there is victory there. So if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I hope today to shine some light from the Word of God on this area. To, to, um, we're going to look today, kind of the three things we're going to look at. We're going to define anxiety and consider its roots. We're going to learn how to experience victory over anxiety. And we're going to see what it's like to live a life of peace. So those are kind of the three things we're going to look at today. And remember, before we read this passage here, this book, uh, this letter was written by Paul. And Paul is someone who understood anxiety. Okay, we often think of him as this giant of the faith. But he was a man who struggled with anxiety regularly. Okay, when he wrote the letter uh, to the Philippian church, he was in prison. He wrote it from prison. And he wrote it when he was in a time of great need. So as you get ready to receive this word, know that it's not from somebody high up on a mountaintop who doesn't understand. Paul himself knew it. Jesus even had to appear to Paul when he was on his missionary journeys. Jesus appeared to Paul directly and said, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking the word of God. So know Paul understood and this is his wisdom in battling anxiety. So let's read Philippians 4 verses 6 through 7. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to see how we go move from anxiety into prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, which results in peace. That's really where we're headed today. But first, let's talk about what is anxiety. I want us to have an understanding of what anxiety is so that we can begin to understand the, really the depth of this command and how much it encompasses. Um, and here's just the, the dictionary definition of anxiety. It means painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. An abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear, often marked by physiological signs such as sweating, tension, and increased pulse. So, so simply and very generally, anxiety is fear or nervousness about what is going to happen or about what might happen to you. And we've all experienced this, right? We all understand when there is an, an impending ill coming down the pipe. One of the most common examples I was thinking about 
anxiety and, and as I think about something that's definitely going to happen to me and how that can create uneasiness in me is the dentist. How many of you like going to the dentist, right? You see, you see it on the calendar. It, it, you get the text message reminder. You know you got to go. They're going to stick the sharp objects in your mouth. The hygienist is going to tell you you're brushing too hard so your teeth are going to fall out. Then the dentist is going to come in and say, well, actually, you've got all this plaque. You're not brushing hard enough. Your teeth are going to fall out. There's no winning with the dentist. So we see this impending ill that's coming down the pipe, and it creates anxiety in us. A more serious one, how about bills that are hard to pay? But if there's not enough money in that bank account, you see a bill coming. That can produce uneasiness in you. Um, right there, how about for, our, for my college guys and girls, how about tests coming down the pipe? Here comes that test. Have I studied enough? Have I prepared enough? You know this thing's going to happen to you, and it creates an uneasiness in your mind. So that's one thing, the impending doom, right? That anticipated thing. The other thing is when we have an anticipated ill, something that we just think might happen to us, right? We all have very creative imaginations. And God love her, my wife has the most creative imagination when it comes to how people might die. I'm not kidding you. It is, it's really remarkable. And an example of this is, <laughs> and, I, and I asked her for permission to share these stories, so it's okay. I'm not in trouble yet. Uh, but one of, one, of the, one of the ways this happens is Megan will be at work or something, and she'll get a phone call come in from her mom. She can't answer the phone right away. So she'll send it to voicemail. Well, instead of her mom leaving a voice message, she will call right back. Well, as soon as Megan sees that second call coming in, from the time she sees that on her screen till she can pick the phone up and answer it, so we're talking about two seconds here, Megan has already determined that the only reason her mom would call her two times in a row is because someone is dying in her family. And, and in those two seconds, she's determined someone's dying, and she is now figuring out, can we get time off of work? We've got, Seth and I have got to talk to our boss about getting time off work. Who's going to take care of the dog? It takes about two and a half hours to drive to Mobile, so that means we'll get there about this time. Oh, wait, Seth's got to get somebody to cover Sunday school. And all of this goes through her mind in about two to three seconds until she answers her phone and her mom says, Oh, hey, I was just um, here at this shoe store and I see some shoes you might like. What size are you again? <laughs> but that's just an example of an anticipated ill, right? We think that something's going to happen to us, and it makes us very nervous about that. We've all experienced that. And then we can also begin to believe that feeling anxious is justified and necessary in certain situations. I mean, what good parent, say you've got a new driver in the family, a teenager, and you send them out for the first time, and you say, be home at this time, and they aren't home at that time, and you haven't heard from them. Don't you think there's a little justification in your anxiety there, right? What if your child's sick? It almost seems like you're, you're being loving by being anxious, right? Or you're waiting for that test result from the doctor. It seems like there's some justification in your anxiety. One of the things Megan and I struggle with the most on our justified anxiety or, or thinking we are is with work, right? Megan and I, we work for the Supreme Court of Alabama. There are cases that we review where a man has been sentenced to death. That's a very weighty thing to review the law and to make a recommendation to the Alabama Supreme Court that, yes, this man should die. Or if you're dealing with the termination of a, of a parent's parental rights, they refer to that as the civil death penalty because it's irreversible. And you talk about some pressure and anxiety when you're, you're examining a case about whether or not a parent should be able to continue to parent their child. So we can begin to think, oh, we're justified. 
And in fact, we even need to be anxious in order to do our job well. We aren't taking our job serious enough if we're not experiencing anxiety. Megan and I have been there before. We've tried to justify that, that anxiety. And I'm sure many of you have been that way as well. And what begins to happen when we, when we allow the sin of anxiety in our life over and over, pretty soon it becomes a constant feeling of anxiety. And you don't even really need a trigger to make yourself feel anxious. There's just kind of this underlying sense of anxiety all the time in your life. Um, you even begin to believe that it's just an inevitable part of life. That, oh, I just, I'm just an anxious person. How many of you have ever just said, that's just part of my personality? I'm just an anxious person, and there's really nothing I can do about it. You see, we give ourselves over to anxiety so much that pretty soon it becomes a constant present in our lives, and we just accept it. Well, the effect of all of this, of this anxiety, um, as we focus on what's happening or what's going to happen or what might happen, eventually we just kind of become a victim of these things, right? All of our energy is spent on fear. We become emotionally drained, and pretty soon we're just tired all the time. And we can't even really explain why. We're just experiencing anxiety all the time, and we're drained. And now we've spent all of our, anxi- all of our energy on thinking about what might happen to us or worrying about what is going to happen to us. And now we find we don't even have any energy to do the things that God has actually given us to do. Right? We don't even have the energy to do to the best of our ability the things that God has given us authority and control over. Because so much of our anxiety comes from things that we have no authority and control over. We just worry about it. And we become so tired uh, that we just begin to get isolated and isolated within our anxiety. Our relationship with God suffers. Our relationship with our spouse suffers. Our relationship with our friends suffer. And we just are consumed with worry all the time. So, what's really going on here? Where are these anxious feelings coming from, and why do we experience this anxiety? Well, Jesus talked about anxiety in relationship to our needs. Turn with me. Keep your finger in in Philippians 4. We're going to be back there. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 32. We're going to look at how Jesus talked about anxiety. And Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 32, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So in this passage here, Jesus is saying, Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear, or what you're going to, where you're going to live. Your Father knows you need them all. So Jesus here is recognizing that we have needs, isn't he? He's saying the Father knows you have needs. He knows you have need of food and water and shelter. He knows this. So Jesus recognizes that we are needy. And not only do we have need of those specific physical things, but in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we can safely conclude that our needs in and of themselves are not the cause of our anxiety. Being in need is not why you are anxious. Okay? You're created by God to need things. That's the way he created you. You're created to need physical things and you're created to need him. 
Okay, it is okay, and it's actually a good thing that we are needy. However, even though our needs are not the actual cause of anxiety, the anxiety we experience is typically linked to an actual need we have. It seems that fear seizes on our needs. Anxiety comes in when we worry about how, when, or in what measure our needs will be met. And as we begin to doubt the goodness of God that He will provide, that's when anxiety comes in. So anxiety attaches itself to that need that we may have. Remember, God has promised in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, you can turn back to Philippians 4 now. Philippians 4, verse 19, God says, or Paul's writing, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's not writing here, God's going to take away your neediness. He's saying God's going to fulfill your neediness in his time, in his measure. So when we fear and when we have anxiety, we're really doubting this promise of God. Oswald Chambers says that this doubt is a species of unconscious blasphemy against God. None of us intentionally are thinking that about God, but when we experience that anxiety about our needs, that's really it's unconscious blasphemy against God. Our anxiety is evidence that we do not trust God to care for us. And guys, this is the same for our desires and wants, I believe, right? We all have desires and wants. God created us with hearts that have desires and wants. And, anxi- and it's not the fact that we have those desires. That's not where anxiety comes. It's the fact that anxiety will seize on an unfulfilled desire. And we begin to doubt God's goodness. We begin to say, oh, well, God just doesn't want good things for me. God must be punishing me. Uh, where is God? He clearly doesn't have a heart for me or else he'd be meeting this need or this desire. This doubt leads to anxiety. It leads us to quit trusting in him and start working to make things happen for ourselves. We doubt God's promise in Psalm 37, 4, that as you delight in him, and that's a very important presupposition to this next phrase, as you delight in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a promise of his. And what we, what we learn as we trust God with our desires is that he begins to shape our desires to conform to his will, and then he fulfills those desires for his glory and for his honor. So we see now that the root of anxiety is that we do not trust God with our needs and our desires. We don't see him performing according to our standards, and so we quit trusting him and put our trust in ourselves or the things of this world. That's where anxiety comes from. And it's within this context, as we understand this, this command now from Paul, back in Philippians 4, right? we understand Paul saying, don't be anxious about anything. That seems impossible, right? Paul's saying, don't have any apprehension or uneasiness about what is going to happen to you or what might happen to you. That's a bold thing for Paul to say to us, isn't it? So let's look at now how do we overcome this anxiety? How do we experience victory over this anxiety? You see, Paul's not commanding us to just stop being anxious, right? That's not where the verse starts. It's not just do not be anxious, period. But he continues on, doesn't he? And he's saying instead of being anxious, we must draw near to God in prayer. Let's look at verse 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. So Paul's saying, exchange your anxiety for communion with God. That's where we start, communion with God. And the first thing Paul calls us to is prayer, right? Prayer is general. And I think what Paul is saying here, he's encouraging us into the presence of God. That's where we start. Are you anxious today? Come into the presence of your good and loving Father. That's where you start. I preached a few weeks back on entering into the presence of God. We looked at Hebrews. And the only way you can enter into the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. So, so for you today to know, this is kind of subtle what Paul is saying here. As he calls us to prayer, he's saying for you, Christian, you may enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ and rest in him. That's where we start. That's where we start. In verse 5, Paul says, the Lord is near. This is where we begin. True freedom from anxiety is only available to you if you are able to come into the presence of God. Okay, that's where it begins. And then Paul says, we're going to pray. And then he calls us to supplication. Okay. So what does supplication mean? Supplication, there's a definition um, that I was kind of able to pull together from different sources. But basically it means... Bring your need to God and with emotion, beg him for help. You go to him as if he is the only one that can do anything about your situation. You enter into the presence of God and you make your needs known to him and you plead with our only hope for help. He created you with needs and desires. We need to accept that we have needs. That's a good thing. That's the way God created us. We need to come into the presence of God and make that need known and ask him for help. Ask him to meet that need. Ask him to fulfill that desire. Go to your father now. This is what Paul's calling us to do here. Bring those needs, the needs that God created to the creator of those needs. Right. It's very simple. It's very it's so simple that it seems impossible to be the the actual case. But this is what Paul's meaning by supplication. And let me give you an example from Scripture of supplication. And uh, it's in Luke chapter 18. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at another familiar passage on, on an example of supplication. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus is telling them a parable. It says, And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's really important. Always pray, don't lose heart. And Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow. So right here, a widow, right? Back in that time, a widow would have been one of the neediest people in society, wouldn't she? She would have had no one to protect her, no one to defend her, no source of income, unable to own property. She was a needy person. So Jesus is giving us the picture, putting us in that that position of a widow. You're a widow. You're needy. So there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So here the widow, someone someone is taking advantage of this widow and she can't do anything about it. She can't change her own circumstance. She's going to the judge who is the only one who can change her circumstance, right? So that's us. We're the widow, we're the one with need, and we're going to God, who's our only hope that can change the circumstance. 
And Jesus goes on. He says, for a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. That's the story Jesus talks about with supplication. And I want us to think, are we praying this way? Do we go to our Father as if He is the only one that can help, as if He is the only one that can fulfill our needs? Do we believe that? Do we pray that way? Or have we lost heart in praying? And I can tell you, in the midst of my anxiety, I have lost heart at times. I have lost heart. I have lost hope. I have lost belief in that promise. I have. God is faithful, though. Are you always praying or have you given up on this prayer? And I think that's one of the things we need to repent from our independence. We need to repent from our unbelief and continue on in this kind of supplication when we find ourselves with needs and we find ourselves anxious over those needs. And then Paul says in in Philippians 4, 6 there, we pray, we supplicate, and we give thanksgiving, right? Now, what does Paul say? Notice that in, in chapter 4, verse 6 there. He says, with, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, now, at the moment you're making your request known to God, give him thanks. We're not waiting on circumstances to change. We're not waiting on something to come in and make our lives better or or something else to to happen. Paul's saying right now, in the moment, in the midst of your need, in the midst of your anxiety, as you give that request to God, thank Him. Praise Him right now. Now, I thought this would be a little fun since we are a Baptist church. We don't do too many uh, responsive readings, but we're going to do one this morning. It's a little different. What I am going to do, because we are so good at coming up with excuses as to why we will not praise God in the moment, right? All of us have those excuses as to why they distract us and we don't want to do it. So I'm going to read an excuse, and you, congregation, are going to respond, praise Him, okay? And all together, and excited. I don't want it to be this, oh, praise Him. This is excited. This is, this is a good thing. So here's an excuse. But I don't know how He's going to answer my prayer. But my need hasn't been met. But he's taking too long. But how can I be sure he's going to act? But what if but what if it looks different than I anticipate? Praise him. Praise God now. Praise him, not because you're anticipating to get exactly what you're asking for. You bring that need to God, but then you praise him because he is God and you are not. You praise Him because He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. You praise Him because His thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. You praise Him because He has knit you together in your mother's womb and He has created good works for you to do and He has equipped you to do them. You praise Him right now. You go to Him with your need. You you beg Him for help and you praise Him because He is God and we are not. He is faithful. He is sovereign. We are not. So you praise Him. 
And that's what Paul's calling us to with this prayer. You pray, you come into the presence of God by the power of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven our sins. We come there, we supplicate, we, we petition God, we, we, with our emotion, we beg Him for help, we plead with Him, and we thank Him. That's what Paul's calling us to. And after we've done this, the result is peace. Right now. The result is peace right now. We don't have to wait for that peace either. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Just that next verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this word for, that we translate peace that Paul's using here, the definition of it means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So the two things to note from this definition of peace is, first of all, it's for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? This peace comes from knowing that you are at peace with God, that your sins are forgiven, that you are able to be in relationship with the Father, that you are able to draw near. That's, that's part one of this definition. But then the other part of the definition is content with its earthly lot, of whatsoever sort that is. And I think that's why Paul says it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because it doesn't mean your peace is dependent upon earthly circumstances changing. It's not what it means. It means that you will have an overwhelming sense of peace even in the face of the terrible circumstances you find yourself in right now. You will have peace resting in your Father. It's being at peace that God will be glorified above all else, even if that means you go through difficult times. And it's peace that your needs and desires rest in the hands of your Father. That's why you have peace, because you have put your needs in the hands of your only hope. That's why you have peace. He's going to act in His time, in His way, for His glory. And guys, I want you to know this is so important that we hold on to. This world is not our home. Right? As we live at peace at God and not in our circumstances, this proclaims the gospel to the world. The world doesn't need to see another Christian blessed with prosperity. The world needs to see Christians, and listen to this, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the kind of Christian the world needs to see. Those who are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This world needs to see Christians who are longing to be with Jesus Christ. They need to see Christians who are aching for their eternal home. That's what this world needs to see. And as, as we come into this peace, as we're, as we're experiencing this peace, Paul also said it's a peace that will actively guard us. Right? So, so as we're in this peace, as we're resting, we, we've, got our, we, we've got our needs and our desires in the hands of the Father. Paul says that this will guard us. And what this word guard means, it literally means to protect by military guard and to prevent hostile invasion. So this is a peace that comes and then actively defends against hostile invasions of the enemy. And believe me, guys, attacks from the enemy 
are coming. The enemy loves to use anxiety because it neutralizes you. It takes you out of the game. It gets you focused on yourself and self-centeredness. In C.S. Lewis's work, The Screwtape Letters, many of you are familiar with this, um, but for those of you who are not, Screwtape and Wormwood are demons. And Screwtape is the kind of the, he's mentoring Wormwood, and he's writing him a series of letters. And in one of these letters, he's, he's instructing Wormwood on how to most effectively keep the human that he's been assigned from serving God. And Screwtape writes to Wormwood, he says, We want him, talking about the human to whom Wormwood has been assigned, we want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. God wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. You see, anxiety, the enemy uses it because anxiety will keep you self-centered and afraid. It will cause you to live a cautious and fearful life. It will keep you from taking risks for the gospel. It will keep you from being generous and compassionate. It will keep you from opening your life up to others. It will keep you from opening your home up to others. Anxiety will drive you to avoid neediness so that you don't have to rely on God or others. Anxiety is not of God. It is certainly sin. And what happens with this is as we go through this, anxiety begins to isolate you and it will make you weak. You become a prime target for the enemy. Uh, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. We're almost done here. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It'll be on the screen, too. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So here we see Peter linking anxiety and making yourself susceptible to attacks of the enemy. Don't let this sin creep into your heart and stay there. Don't let it become a stronghold in your life. Don't believe the lies that God cannot be trusted. Resist this anxiety and don't give the enemy a foothold. Instead, as Paul encourages us, exchange your anxious thoughts and feelings for prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. So in summary here, the first thing you've got to understand, the first thing you've got to come to grips with is, are you at peace with God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you in relationship with God? Because true peace from anxiety is only going to be found in Jesus Christ. This world will not ultimately satisfy. And for those of us who have chased after the things of the world to try that, you know that. You know that to be true but you believe the lie that, well, maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Maybe it'll be better. If I could just get this to happen, then I'll be free of this anxiety. No, that's a lie. Peace, true everlasting peace, only comes in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing you've got to settle today is be reconciled to God. And then the second thing, this is just a practical tip for you that I've found to be helpful. You've got to figure out what is it that you're anxious about. And I know that sounds simple, but that can be very difficult to pinpoint at times. You will have these anxious feelings and you don't really understand why. You need to drill down and get with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to show you 
what's the need or the desire that I am worried about. And, and I very much recommend journaling in this practice. There have been many times the Lord has shown me through writing down my anxious thoughts and prayers, He has pinpointed that specific need. And it's important for that specific need because then the third thing comes that we go to the Lord in prayer and we go to the Lord in supplication and we go to the Lord in thanksgiving and we take that need and we place it in the hands of our fathers in the hands of our Father knowing that He will bring about His will in His time for His glory. And, and in, in this closing warning I want to give you, this is a continuing battle. Carmen probably got sick of Megan and I coming to him over and over and over. Year, literally years, guys. Years coming to him week after week. We're anxious. We're struggling with this thing. We're anxious. We're anxious. And Carmen so graciously, week after week, directed us back to the presence of the Father. Let's go to prayer. Let's cry out to God. Let's give Him thanks. And that was the battle that you will have to fight. You must be conscious of the thoughts that you're allowing in your mind. You can't let these anxious thoughts just stay there. Look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9 real quick. Last scripture here. This is Paul telling us to fix our mind on the promises of God. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The way that Megan does this, and I love this, at work we have dual computer monitors for, on our desks there. And Megan has, over time, we have accumulated a lot of promises of God that help us in, in the battle we have against anxiety and that struggle. And Megan writes those verses down on a little sticky note and she puts it on her computer monitor. Well, over the years of our battling anxiety, her computer monitor, both computer monitors are covered with sticky notes. And, and what happens is when she feels this anxiety coming, she goes and she just begins reading these and praying these promises of God. Let these promises of God produce in you an unshakable trust in our Father. Uh, Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because He trusts you. Keep these promises in your heart. Keep them on sticky notes wherever you look regularly and let that produce in you an unshakable trust. And, and one word to husbands and fathers. You have got to step up and engage in this battle with your wives and with your daughters and with our sisters. The, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America says that women are twice as likely as men to experience almost every kind of anxiety disorder that they have identified. Husbands, it is your responsibility to lead your wives into prayer. We see from Paul, this is exactly what he's calling us to do. This is the way we overcome anxiety, is to enter into the presence of God. Men, turn the television off. And pray with your wives daily. And you'll begin to notice this. I can see when Megan's getting ready in the morning and she's getting her, her makeup on, I can see the look on her face and I can tell, is this going to be an anxious day? Is she struggling? You, and you men, you'll be able to see this. As you begin to observe your wives and watch this, you'll see, you'll know what's going through their mind. And I know, hey, we need to pray. And so every day, Megan and I, before we leave for work, we stop and we pray together. 
And we say, God, we need you today. Before we go to bed every night, Megan and I pray together. And I'm I'm not saying that to say, hey, look at us or whatever. I'm saying that to encourage you guys because it is so vital to our daily walk. It's so important for Megan in particular that she be reminded that I am right there battling with her. That I am alongside her. That I am leading her into the presence of God, the only one that can help. That is so important, man. We've got to take that responsibility seriously. So in closing... Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will bring you to completion. Are you struggling with anxiety today? Has it been an ongoing struggle that's been going on for years? There is victory in Jesus Christ. Believe me, we've been through this battle and we continue to battle. There is victory for you in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with it, we would love to pray with you. Megan and I would love to pray with you. Any of the elders, anybody would love to pray with you over this sin of anxiety. We've got to learn how to walk this repentance out. It's not easy. It's a constant battle. But let me pray for us and we will close. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Father, we thank you that you are a God that is near We thank you, Lord, that you invite us into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you don't condemn us and you aren't angry at us for being for being anxious. But instead, you welcome us directly into your presence. And Lord, I pray for all of us here today who are struggling with anxiety. I pray that we would come into your presence and experience your peace, Father. And I pray for freedom today from the chains of anxiety. I pray against that oppressiveness. I pray against the schemes of the enemy. In Jesus' name, we love you and we praise you.